Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. And hello, friends. Welcome to episode number 72. It's, it's great to be with you once again. First things first, happy second anniversary to Life in the Pit. It was actually on June 27th, 2020, that um, we released our first three episodes. And um, the frequencies kind of changed a bit over time. I uh, was posting first weekly and then got a little ambitious and thought that I could do two episodes a week for a while. And I did that mainly because I had recorded... um, At one point, I had about nine interviews recorded ahead of release. And I was like, okay, well... Uh, so they just don't sit around. We'll go ahead and do twice a week. But then you start to realize just how much work goes into uh, presenting a podcast with a guest and even doing a light bit of editing. And yeah, it just it soon became apparent that the best I was going to be able to do with my schedule and um, what I'm able to provide as far as content was every other week. So that is where it's been most of the podcast. Uh, again, this is episode 72, but there, there's more than 72 episodes. I, there, there are some shorter episodes, some bonus episodes that I did not put an episode number on. So uh, all told, there's uh, there's over 80 episodes that you can check out um, talking about mostly life in the theater pit, but sometimes we've gotten outside to talk about topics that are just really more relevant to any type of freelance musician and you know, going forward, there's going to be some episodes that are outside the box, but also plenty of episodes still coming up for the the rest of this year uh, with bona fide pit musicians. One of those bona fide pit musicians is today's guest, Dennis J. Arcano. We're going to be chatting about his career, which includes uh, doing quite a bit of subbing as a drummer and percussionist on Broadway for shows such as Follies, the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, Jagged Little Pill, and Mrs. Doubtfire. We're going to talk about what specifically is involved in being a substitute drummer or percussionist and, uh, and what's, <laughs> what's needed for that to come off well. Um, we're, we're also going to be talking about his uh, off-Broadway experience, which turned into becoming the, the drummer for the national tour of Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, we're going to be talking about his, his YouTube channel. We're going to be talking about drum, drum programming and also a lot of the great work that he's doing for local professional theaters in his own region in, in Connecticut. And so we have quite a bit that we're going to chat today, and uh, this was a very fun conversation. So without further delay, here is my conversation with Dennis J. Arcano. It's my pleasure today to be talking to Dennis. Dennis, how are you today? I'm great. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Excited to chat. (laughs) Nice. So um, where is it that you are? Do you live in New York or do you live somewhere else? Uh, no, I'm uh, I'm in Bethel, Connecticut area, okay. um, which is just outside of Danbury, Connecticut. It's the largest town near us here. Uh, I was born in Stanford, Connecticut, raised in Norwalk, Connecticut. So I've been a a Connecticut. I don't know what we call Connecticut people. Connecticut, Connecticut. I don't know. <laughs> I've been a Connecticut uh, resident my whole entire life, um, but um, always been very close to the city. So I'm about I'm about an hour and fifteen minutes from the city right now. So it makes it very easy to get in there to to do work or see shows and yeah. Nice. Uh, you know, just since you mentioned that, that's kind of, uh, you know, out of order on the questions, but um, <laughs> how how do you manage getting your drums, you know, to, to where you're going to go? Do you drive in a car or or or, or how does that work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Any, anytime I do need to bring my own stuff into the city, I definitely just drive it in myself because I'm not going to, you know, put it on the train or there's sometimes too much to, you know, even carry with you on one trip. So you're kind of back and forth. Um, but a lot of times the work that I do in the city, either as a sub or even if I'm playing a show, you know, or, or a date somewhere, they might even have drums there, which is nice. So sometimes you don't even have to bring your own stuff. Maybe just bring your own cymbals or your own favorite snare drum or something that you want to swap out. Um, but yeah, if, I, if I'm taking my stuff in the city, I definitely can drive it myself. Right. <laughs> well, that's, uh, yeah, I- 
you know, I think I, I talked to um, this Marianne McSweeney on an earlier podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, and I'm just talking about her base, and I think she she does the subway a lot, and and you know, or we're just talking about getting her instruments around, and she's just talking about like the car garage prices, you know, just the car the parking lot, you know, just. Yes, I, I almost wonder how. I almost wonder how you make even a profit. <laughs> yeah, you know, days. you definitely you, you definitely have to weigh that into it. You know, so yeah. I I was doing that recently as I was getting into the city in the fall and subbing on a show, and I would seriously I would calculate. Okay, I'm getting paid this much, but you know, I'm paying this much in tolls. I'm paying this much in parking the car, and if it's a two show day, I'm probably going to have lunch and dinner in the city too. And you know, am I breaking even? So I I would start to. Um, bring my lunch and just buy dinner, or I would use this app called Spot Hero, which is um, helps you find like discounted parking in the city, and you can reserve it ahead of time. So a, a lot that might have cost me thirty dollars sometimes it only cost me eighteen dollars. And yeah, it, it's the, the New York is expensive, and it has those signs of not you know uh, of slowing down. I think they're actually talking about in the next year adding a. Um, I think it's called like a, con- a congestion rate or, or fee or, or toll for mm. anything below, you know, 76th street. And so it's going to be another toll, another cost to incur. Yeah. It's definitely very expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I saw that spot hero app. I've never used it, but it, but it came up when I was looking up in advance. Uh, Cause I, the first week of the month I was in LA and I was just like, oh, where am I going to park? You know? And <laughs> Um, you know, actually I say LA, I was in Anaheim for all but like two days, you know, but for those days I was going to go to LA. I was like, where am I going to park? And Spot Hero was recommended, but, uh, I didn't go with it. Didn't end up needing it for the places I had to go, but I could see where that might be handy, especially a, a place like New York where, you know, just mm-hmm. good luck finding a spot. <laughs> yes. And I will say for that, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm, there's multiple apps like that, but I've had really good experiences with, with them personally, where if I've gotten to the lot and it's full or the GPS took me to the wrong lot, they I will call them, they will refund me, they will pay for the next lot that I find. And if, so wow. shout out to Spot Hero, let me nice. see if I can get an endorsement. Nice. <laughs> so let's just talk a little bit about how, how do, you know, I always like to know how, how did you get into music and it, you can abbreviate that as much as you want, but like... Maybe how did you get into music, and at what what point did you decide you wanted to do this professionally? Sure. So I don't. You know, a lot of people start very early in their lives. I'm sure with you know piano lessons or music lessons when they're four or five years old. But so I, I sometimes think of myself as a bit of a late bloomer musically. Uh, I had a friend in middle school who had a drum set in his basement, and we'd go over there and mess around every once in a while. And then eighth grade, I would say I. The Christmas of eighth grade, I said to my parents, I-, I want my own drum set. And bless their hearts, they went and bought me one without any experience or any lessons on them. And uh, so I was definitely very, very self-taught at the beginning. Um, so that would probably be my first experience was just kind of playing on someone else's drums and getting my own. And I'd sit there in the basement with, you know, my favorite... 80s hair metal bands and learning songs from Motley Crue and Def Leppard and yeah. just kind of playing along and figuring, oh, he's doing this with the hi-hat and there's this beat on the snare drum and this is what the kick drum is doing. So a lot of, lot of learning by ear at that time. Um, and then when high school came around, I guess my first real dive into like any like official musical group was, was being in the high school marching band, um, you know, which I did for all four years of marching band uh, of high school. And then for about 10 years after I graduated, I also went back and instructed my high school's drumline as their, as their drumline instructor. So yeah, lot, lots of, lots of, uh, you know, just drum set playing marching band in my early years. And then it was probably sometime in high school where a few of the friends of mine in band were also playing in the pit of the high school musicals. And I think, you know, my, my freshman in and sophomore year, I think it was like, uh, I don't remember, 42nd Street and Leader of the Pack, I think might have been the first two, you know, musicals that I that I saw uh, with, right. with friends, you know. Yeah. So then when junior year came around, my band director said, hey, you know, all the seniors graduated and you're sort of next in line. Do you want to play percussion for Into the Woods was our junior year show. Mm. And at that time, I was like yeah what's how do the drum beats go you know and it was like well there's there's no drums in the show it's all percussion i was like okay what's a xylophone <laughs> so you know back then i hadn't had much experience so that was a that was definitely a uh, 
a big production to cut my teeth on in, in, in musical theater. But, you know, I definitely was hooked, you know, just that, that feeling of playing live in front of people and a story happening on stage and the lights and the costumes and everybody, as we all know, it just, it just becomes very addictive. And yeah. So then my uh, senior year of high school, we did anything goes and the musical director who, who we used to hire, who came in, you know, was a, was a semi-professional at the time. She asked if I would like to play at like, you know, a, a local community theater over that same summer between high school and um, college. So yeah, just started doing shows that way. And then um, that was sort of the beginning of it all. Nice. Um, yeah. So yeah, you, you brought up Into the Woods, which was actually my last show that, that I did at a local, you know, a community theater. And, uh, I was going to ask, because so, I like to confirm this with anybody who comes on the show that plays drums, are you, are you a drummer or are you a percussionist? <laughs> so how would you so, call yourself? <laughs> I, guess it, I guess I'd call myself both because I've done both you know, right. professionally. I prefer playing the drum, drum books to shows. You know, So if you're talking about a show like whatever, Miss Saigon or, or, chorus, or um, yeah, chorus Line or any of the ones that have a drum book and a percussion book, right. I would prefer to be on the drum book, yeah. but I, I'm, I'm very able and comfortable to play percussion books. I've played, you know, the percussion book to West Side Story many times with yeah. all the, you know, crazy mallet stuff. And then there's books like, you know, Spelling Bee or, or um, trying to think of any other ones, uh, Follies, where those were one-player books only, so you had to play drums and percussion simultaneously you were kind of playing timpani half the time then coming back to drum set then playing mallets so yeah i guess my preference is to play drums i was, I was a drummer first i love i love drum set the most yeah. um but i mean i have i have no no if if someone wants to pay me to play percussion i'm there <laughs> nice yeah i think it's good to to know your preference but also you know to have some versatility you know yep. <laughs> you never know Absolutely. what to uh, because yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit because we talked a little bit before we were recording, and uh, you know you said that you've done a lot of things on on Broadway as a sub. You haven't done a lot of things as um, you know as the principal chair. The and it, you know, I started thinking about that. You know, if you play keyboard, I think most shows will give you two, sometimes up to four chances to have a a book. You know, I mean, I, most of, most of the time your piano one's going to be on early in the process, you know, and rehearsing, you know, with the cast and so forth. But, you know, you, you, you've got some chances there. If you're a guitarist, a lot of shows give you two chances, you know, to, to have a chair. And mm -hmm. if you play even like, you know, a reed instrument, you've got two, three chances to have a chair. Same thing with like couple, couple with trumpet, trumpet. But there's usually only one drummer on a show and unless there's they've separated and you've got percussion you know unless it's something really huge i guess like the lion king or something like that but sure. um so yeah i was just thinking you you really have to be comfortable with uh with subbing and i assume that that means also just comfortable with other people's drum sets right i mean you absolutely you know that's yeah. funny yeah that that's what i actually say is one of the Obviously, the, learning the music. I mean, there, there's a there's a bunch of challenges with with subbing on a Broadway right. show. The pressure of it, and you're stepping in on, like I say, you're jumping onto a moving train that's mm -hmm. been up and running for however many weeks and months. But that, as a drummer, that's definitely one of the things to always consider. I just recently heard a story of of a, of a young drummer who's who's up and coming, trying to get into the city, and was going to sub on a show, and was like, yeah, you know, like I just I'm just practicing on my drum set. Now, I mean, I, I know the drum set in the theater is like a four piece, but I'm just using my three piece to learn it. And I'm like, no, that's you have to you have when I'm subbing a show, I come in here in my studio, and the first thing I do when I go to check out the drummers, you know, as I, I come with my tape measure and I measure how high is their snare drum and what's the angle of their floor tom and what's the height of it. And then I, I recreate that here because, you know, especially like I, I'm six feet tall and some drummers are a little shorter than me. Some are a little taller than me. And, you know, I don't want to go in and mess. You're, you know, a lot of drummers in the city don't want you like, you're just going to sit down and play. You're not going to come in and adjust their things and whatever because they want to come back the next night and just sit right back down and do their job. So I always try to go in as a, as a respectful sub and say, listen, I'm just going to sit down and play your show. Mm -hmm. But absolutely, that's definitely one of the, the biggest considerations or one of the biggest challenges when learning to sub a show as a drummer on Broadway is that you've got to play on a, a kit that you're not comfortable with the setup. You might not be comfortable with the feel like, wow, this person's snare drum is a lot tighter than my snare drum and the, and the rebound is a little bit different. And those are the things you have to practice. So there's also, you know, you go in 
you know, before, before you're going to have your first sub date and you, you know, you, you find a few days to go in and practice on that person's drum set with your, you know, your headphones on the recording of the show you're playing along to so that you can, you can not feel like you're coming in that first time on a foreign, you know, on a foreign setup. But yeah, that's definitely one of the more challenging parts of being a, a Broadway sub for sure. Right. Nice. On drums. Yeah. How would you, uh, if you were like, just create a roadmap from, you know, going from your kind of college days to being, well, just to make it to Broadway, like what are some key steps along the way to getting that first Broadway gig? Like from, from my experience personally, or like as a recommendation? No, 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 from from your experience, like, yeah, what are some things, some big key steps along the way? Absolutely. Well, I really lucked out. I have to say my Mm -hmm. freshman year of college, I was at the Western Connecticut State University uh, of Connecticut. um, Wait, Western Connecticut State University (laughs) in Danbury, Connecticut is what I meant to say. Um, And we had a regional theater down the road um, called the Candlewood Playhouse in New Fairfield, Connecticut. And they were looking for um, a drummer or percussionist. And they happened to call my percussion teacher, uh, David Smith at, at Westcon. And I had played the shows at the high school or at the college as well too. Cause I was, like I said, I was kind of like all in on playing musical theater and he recommended me and lo and behold, I ended up all four years of college. I had the greatest summer job ever. <laughs> I would play four productions uh, with, you know, equity actors at a professional theater. Um, uh, and, and in those four years, I met two very influential people for me getting to the Broadway scene. Uh, Stephen Oremus, who is a music director and music supervisor of almost everything you've ever seen on Broadway, Wicked, mm-hmm. Avenue, Q, 9 to 5, yeah, everything. Um, and Simon Matthews, who is a sound designer of pretty much everything you've ever heard or sound engineer on, on Broadway as well, too. Um, and they, you know, when they started working in the city and drummers would ask, you know, for, for names, you know, my name came up a couple of times and, and, it, and it panned out. Um, the first show I subbed on Broadway was uh, the 2001 uh, revival of Follies, Stephen Sondheim Follies. And that was through my friend Simon Matthews, the sound um, engineer. He was mixing that show. And the drummer on that show, Billy Miller, said, you know, I'm looking for someone else and just happened to, you know, pan out from there. Um, yeah, so it's definitely, I always tell every musician who's really interested in like going that far in theater is to, it's like like saying like wanting to get to Broadway is to just do every theater gig you possibly can because you'll never know. I mean, we were even just talking, you know, before before we recorded. You just never know where someone along the line is gonna be connected to a Broadway show and have have you in their mind as someone that they can trust and do the job well and give you the call. You know, so okay. that was sort of my path. It just kind of went. It just really it was very. I was very lucky that I happened to meet people on that first, you know, gig. That was really my first professional gig those four years. <laughs> you know, I was like 19 years old and just happened to meet those the right people at the right time. You know, the, everyone has a different story um, of how they, you know, whether it's pit musician or anything, how they reach a certain level of success. But I, but I find that actually it's always the same story uh, kind of template, and that is mm-hmm. develop your skill and and then take every opportunity and then have a little luck. <laughs> yes, be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like that that is always the 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 case and you know there're plenty of people that that hit on two out of 3 and mm-hmm. that's why you you don't know them, you know. It's like they haven't they haven't <laughs> haven't made it. But if you can if True. you can make all 3 happen and and it seems to me like if you do if you do enough of the first two, the third is just a matter of law of averages. When some people happen soon, some people happens later. But uh, it's just always helpful to just kind of put each story into that template. It always works out. Um, you know, I was just looking at some of the shows you did. I was particularly interested in Tick Tick Boom. Uh, I'd never heard of that show till I music directed oh. that in 2015 for Community Theater. And uh, you know, I call it the little show that could. It was like the, the, they didn't even know if it was going to sell any tickets in this area i didn't know if like jonathan larson's name was going to be enough to to get that going but uh word of mouth is we actually had to add a week had an add a weekend you know to accommodate people want to see that and it was you know it's one of those i always love shows where the the band outnumbers the cast you know because i think it was uh (laughs) 
So you four, I think it was a four piece. Four in the yeah. band, three in the cast. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, just, yeah, and of course, uh, I thought, in my opinion, Netflix did a great job. You know, on oh, adaptation, it, it had a bit of an all all that jazz vibe to it. You know, in terms of um, just the way it was edited and so forth. But so, you know, what 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 was it like? How'd you get that gig? And you know, just what are some memories of playing that show? Yeah, of, of all the things I've done in my career, that was the most meaningful show that I ever got to play in. And I, I look back on that, you know, two years on and off with the off-Broadway and the touring production fondly as just my, my favorite gig ever. Because, I, you know, one of the reasons why I got into really pursuing theater was, you know, Rent was a huge influence on me. When I, when I saw Rent, I was just like, I'm in. Uh, this is what I want to do. You know, I, I just, just everything about it, the story, the Jonathan Larson, uh, just the music, just, I was a, a rent head for sure. You know, I slept out on 41st street on my 21st birthday to get the, you know, second, first row seats that they were doing back then, the student rush tickets. And so when, when I heard, you know, it was, it would think it was uh, 2001 when I heard that they were going to be now. So for people who don't know Tick, Tick, Boom, it was actually a show that Jonathan himself when he was alive, had performed as a one-man show before he wrote Rent. Right. So he was a, you know, up-and-coming, struggling composer in the city. He wanted to do musical theater. Had had a couple of things here and there, and and he wrote this semi-autobiographical musical about himself, trying to write a musical while also freaking out about turning thirty in the early '90s. And yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot about you know the struggling artist in the show. Um, but after he died and all the success of Rent, you know, they had the idea like, let's let's bring this back. Let's see if we can make a little off-Broadway run of it. So when I saw that on Playbill.com and saw that one of my friends, Matt Beck, was going to be the guitarist on the show, and Stephen Aremus, who I just mentioned before, was was the original conductor or vocal arranger uh, of the production, I, I hit both of them up and said, hey, listen, uh, your drummer, Clayton Craddock, tell him what a huge fan I am of Jonathan Larson. Tell him that you've worked with me and that I'm, I'm, you know, good player that I could do the job and please get me in there as a sub. And this was Clayton Craddock's first uh, um, job as a drummer on an off-Broadway show. He had, had not done musical theater himself before. So I don't think he knew a lot of people in the area. So he thankfully gave me a call and yeah, for the, for the off-Broadway run, I was one of his, his, his subs on the show. So I was in there a bunch of times, actually my first, talk about thinking about memories and think about my first sub date on the show was September 15th, 2001. Mm. And the last time I was supposed to sit in and watch the show before my sub date was September 11th, 2001, right. which obviously did not happen for many reasons. Um, and so the, the, that show on the 15th that I subbed was the first show when Broadway and off-Broadway shows reopened after after 9-11. So my wife and my my good friend at the time were my, my guests to see the show. And, you know, it was a very solemn, you know, vibe in the city. And there it was, but there was just something so, you know, magical about we were all going to, you know, try to be resilient and and do our thing. And, and it was, that's like one of my, just, just that whole experience of performing a show being a part of that history of like, you know, Broadway reopening after, after this closing, um, that was, that was amazing. So, yeah, so I, so I did, I subbed on and off, uh, for the, for the off Broadway run. It only ran about six months or so, six, seven, eight months. I'm not sure. Um, and then in 2002, I got a call from Stephen Remus again saying, Hey, you know, you want to maybe go out on the national tour of Tick, Tick, Boom? I know how much you, you know, love the show and, and I was like, sure. And at the time, I, I should mention that I'm also currently and have been for the past 24 years, a, a public school teacher um, here in Bethel, Connecticut. Um, so it was kind of like, well, I'd love to do it, but I got to figure out how I can take, you know, six months off <laughs> from school. And thankfully, my, my, my administrators were like, you know, you can do a leave of absence. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, and then what was great is that Stephen Arimus said that, you know, he needed to have someone in the band, like you had mentioned, there's only four people in the band. There needed to be someone else who could also play piano as like an assistant uh, musical director so that when we had understudy rehearsals on Thursday, the actual MD could be in the house and giving notes. And, you know, and so he had me come to his apartment because I'm an, a multi-instrumentalist as well. I play piano, guitar, bass. Um, I do a lot of recording and, and, uh, 
I came in and played for him. He was like, all right, cool. So you're going to, you know, you're going to be drummer every night and also be assistant MD and do, you know, the rehearsals, uh, understudy rehearsals, which was great. Um, so yeah, then in, so then in 2003, we went out on the road for six months. Um, and it was very cool. My wife um, actually ended up getting a job on the tour as the merchandise, uh, you know, uh, person. So we actually got to, you know, tour together for it was like a paid vacation for for six months, just nice. traveling the country and playing one of my favorite scores ever, you know, about my favorite theater composer ever. So yeah, I definitely that was that's that always tops the list of my favorite productions or favorite experiences in musical theater. Nice. Well, and you brought up a good point that uh, that is. Concern you know, a lot of times when I talk to musicians on tours, um, they, they they might have a girlfriend or a fiance, <laughs> but but they're seldom married, and um, you know they're in and they seldom have a full time job, you know where they are. So so for a lot of musicians like yourself, that, that question of how am I going to do this when the mm-hmm. opportunity strikes? So it's it's great that you were able to work out those obstacles and able to to have that experience. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I definitely say. It was a once in a lifetime experience. That nothing, I don't expect to ever have that opportunity to tour again. Nor would I, you know, probably be able to 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 make it work. You know, twenty five years later, just as life happens. Uh, but it was just, it was just a perfect little moment in 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 time that you know we, we both got to go out together and work on a show. And yeah, it was great. That was great. Right. Uh, I noted some Broadway shows that you've you've sat in on before: Follies, twenty fifth annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, Jagged Little Pill, Mrs. Doubtfire. Would I be correct that that's kind of chronological order? Yep. You know, I, I think just kind of for the sake of time, I'm kind of I'm kind of uh, start with the second one here. So the twenty fifth annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. So sure. yeah, just a you know just kind of a shout out because uh, you know we we discovered before we recorded, we have a common person that, cause you were on the, you were sub for the original production and right. uh, Lisa Howard was in the original production and she's our lead for the Collins boy, the, the show that I've talked about on, on here before and that I'm the arranger for. And um, just, that is a, that's an interesting show. I've heard, especially from the keyboard perspective, I, I, I've, mm. I've talked to someone who programs keyboards and sells those programs. And he said that that was probably his biggest selling program or one of them i think mama mia might be a little bit more <laughs> frequent of a sale but it's just you know it's a mm-hmm. complicated program very difficult to just you know do it yourself so uh you know what are the what is the drum book like for that show sure uh so the drum book for that show is is kind of, well the, the whole orchestration for that show is kind of unique if i if i remember correctly and i may be wrong here but i feel like i remember the orchestration being done to sound like it was sort of an incomplete middle school band. Like what would a middle school band just kind of have a lot? Cause you know, the, the whole, the whole show takes place in a, you know, a school gym at a spelling bee. And so the accompaniment wanted to kind of have, so you have like, you know, the keyboard player, the piano player, there's like a read book, there's a cello, and then there's a percussion, you know? So there's no bass, there's no guitar. There's other things you would expect to see um, in a, in a, or expect to hear in a, in a Broadway show. Um, so that that may or may not be correct, but from the percussion sense, they were definitely trying to cover it. It was one player who played drums and percussion. So we had, you know, a station where the drum set was set up, and it was your standard five-piece drum set with, you know, some cymbals, some toys, woodblocks, cowbells. Um, and then you had timpani to the left of the hi-hat over here that you played very frequently with, the you know, from the drum set. You'd finish playing a drum phrase with the right hand and then go to the left hand on the timpani. And then you used to have to stand up and take a few steps to sort of the mallet percussion station where they had some, a vibraphone, xylophone, a set of orchestra bells, a couple more cymbals and woodblocks and toys there. Um, and then there's also for the I Love You song where she's talking about, where Olive is talking about... Um, her mother, who Lisa Howard plays in that scene, uh, right. she goes out of her role and um, and and is in India uh, in doing something. I can't remember exactly what the, what the storyline was, but so there's like um, a, an Indian dumbek drum or something that we played as well. It's a little bit of world percussion uh, in there. So yeah, it's it's definitely a really fun book to play. And then I was fortunate enough a couple of years. The reason why I mentioned Kevin Rowland, keyboard programmer, the my I currently work um, as a contractor. Uh, keyboard programmer and drummer for uh, a regional theater here um, in, in Ridgefield, Connecticut called a contemporary theater of Connecticut ACT. And we did, we did spelling bee uh, back in 2019. 
And it was just so cool to like play the show again, you know, after having played in that original Broadway production and we, we rented his programming. And I remember, cause I, when I looked at the book as a programmer, I was like, there's no way I can get these sounds to be, you know, what we need to find someone who's got access to the original sounds and has sampled them from the Kurzweil keyboards or whatever it was that they used. So yeah, that's, it's definitely a very unique sounding orchestration. And yeah, I'm, I'm always surprised. I mean, it's a great show. It's hilariously funny. Mm -hmm. It's improvised, uh, you know, uh, and it's just, it's, it's great to see that it's still, you know, however many 15 years later now still just has, has a life outside of of that original production. It's yeah, it's a great show. Uh, You know, we've talked about, uh, keyboard programming quite a bit, you know, on this podcast, but we've never really talked about drum programming. What is that? And I know you just, sure. you've said that you do that. So, yeah, I do a little bit of both. Um, yeah, I mean, they're they're kind of they're they're sort of similar, you know. Whereas a keyboard programmer's job is to create and organize and put together, you know, keyboard sounds for a keyboard player to be able to just patch through one sound, uh, you know, at a time. Same thing for for drum programming. You know, um, you're you're just I just literally on Sunday finished a production of Rent at ACT, and that has a good amount of drum programming in it. So for that show, um, I use a device called the Roland SPDSX, which is just a you know a drum pad sample pad, um, and it it means going through my libraries of sound and finding exactly the right shaker sound or a sample of a you know an electronic snare drum or whatever it might be and doing any kind of processing. Maybe that means adding a little reverb or EQing it or chopping the file or doing whatever I might need to do um, from a you know digital sense with whatever recording software I might have, Pro Tools, Logic. And then for that, for that per- situation, then taking the samples, putting them onto patches. Uh, you know, I had, I had the first patch was just the bongos that are used when the first time we hear the Santa Fe theme in that show. And then I would patch to the, to, you know, rent number two patch. And then I would have all the electronic percussion sounds for light my candle, which has this kind of like, you know, looping groove on it there. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I'd patch through to patch three, which had, um, I also did the background tracks for today for you and contact. So I was also the person triggering those. So not really a drum programming, but just showing that like I had other things that I also you know that i triggered from the for the production from that so yeah it's you know drum programming is very similar to keyboard programming anything that has to do with electronic drum sounds and what devices you're going to be using to trigger those sounds you could use them on a standalone thing like i mentioned the roland or i could connect that midi device to a main stage rig for example i'm sure you've talked about main stage with people before on the show you know and there's a lot of drummers that use main stage um yeah, so you know, it's it's just another way of of adding electronic sounds to a show via the drummer instead of the keyboard player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I almost picture electronics kind of taking a hold of everywhere everywhere in the pit. You know, so obviously keyboards mm. for a long time, uh, but I know you know get, guitars can be used as controllers. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're saying drums can be used as controllers, and um, you know one of the things that they had at NAM, you know the this uh, you know, earlier this month was, um, you know, reed instruments that are digital, you know, so oh, it's yeah. like, like you can have that one reed instrument and you can, I'm um, obviously you can make it sound like, you know, something else, you know, which I'm not, I'm not sure like if, if that would be really good if you're trying to replace a, an actual reed instrument, you know, because the, you know, the yeah, technology just- is still not quite there yet as far as reproducing a good, you know, real yeah. sound. But, um, it might be helpful if you're budget con- budget conscious and you can't hire someone you know who can do all the doubling. But also, if you want some synthetic, you know, interesting sounds, you know, so that that you can't get from a reed instrument. So, yeah, that's right. We just uh, my my wife is a flutist, uh, and we just I got her one of them last year for Christmas, and we just not to like like you said not to I don't. It'd be interesting to see how how they use it in musical theater, mm-hmm. but it was cool for her as someone who has the ability to play a reed instrument and she knows, you know, notation and, and fingerings for those instruments. Like you said, then it was kind of cool to say, here, play like a, a synth patch, but instead of playing it on the keyboard, which she might not be as, you know, proficient to do, she can do it here as she would on a on a flute, you know, and then it was come out it come out like, you know, as a, a lead sawtooth patch or something like that. So that that I think is kind of cool. Giving someone like, you know, the ability to play any sound they want, but on the on the instrument that they're most comfortable with but uh, yeah i think it'd be kind of weird to see if people try to use it to you know 
use it as like, oh, you're playing a flute clarinet sax, you know, book and you don't really play sax or clarinet. So now you can just put the patches in, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. We'll have to see where that goes. <laughs> nice. What would you say is the wildest setup you've ever had to play as far as your instruments for a show? I think it w- I would probably have to say any version of the two-player book to West Side Story mm-hmm. for me. For me, is that that's always been. I've played both the drum book and the percussion book, and really, when you do it, when you do it right, it can be done with two players, and both players have to sort of cover things that you might think the other might play. Like, for example, you know, the opening of the song uh, or the opening of the the prologue. Where we have bump and then the drums play Now those are written to be on concert toms that a percussionist would play, not the drum set, you know. Mm-hmm. But usually when that show when you know, space, money, whatever it might be, a lot of times that would be played by the drum set player because why why add four more concert toms to the percussion setup when he's got a snare drum and four toms already? So that person plays it. And vice versa. Like, you know, there's times where there's a xylophone part that's not really able to be gotten to by the percussionist because they have to play, you know, timpani or cymbal roll. So then the drummer might have a little pit xylo in their setup as well to be able to catch just a couple of xylo parts here and there. So, yeah, I I would say for me that that's been the most complicated, you know, I mean, most drum books that I've played, there are definitely, I just saw a a picture of uh, uh, Shannon Ford, who is the drummer for Beetlejuice right now. I saw a picture of his drum setup. Uh, he, there's a drum book and a percussion book on that show. And his drum setup was just awesome. There was just like just stuff everywhere, <laughs> electronics right. and cymbals and drum, you know, or um, uh, another drummer friend of mine, Russ Nyberg, he was the touring drummer for um, the, la- the last tour of Miss that closed, you know, before the pandemic. And they, that was originally a two player book, but they're touring with it as one player. So I, I look at his setup and I get agita because I'm like, I just would not want to have to think about setting all of that up or having to play everything that's in that setup. So there's definitely some really wild, wild setups out there. But I would say for me personally, it's definitely any either of the books for West Side Story. There's just so many cool sounds and cool things to have mm-hmm. around there. Nice. Not related to Broadway, but kind of uh, related to drum setups. Mm-hmm. One, I bought myself a book earlier this month that was a new release, and I haven't gotten a chance to actually get into it, but it's uh, the complete scores of 40 songs from the band Rush. You know, and it's got oh. Neil Peart's... It's got everything transcribed, and from what I've been told, it's very accurate. So, you know, there's some some things, you know, some, some things he's done, especially in the late 70s, early 80s, that it'd be very interesting to just see that transcribed and what kind of setup yep. that is. So. Yeah, I have I have one, I have a rush out, like, I forget which album it is, but there's like one album that I have the transcriptions of all three of their parts, like, you know, it's the guitar, bass, and all the drum stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's, and the same thing, very accurate. The people out there who, who have that ability to go in there and, like, transcribe exactly every note he's playing on whatever rototom or cymbal bell or, you know, every very specific thing, it is definitely very cool to see that. And, and so, you know, it's also very humbling <laughs> when yeah. you go, oh, it's notated. I can, I can figure this out. No, I can play like him. No, you can't. So, <laughs> it's, you know, well, at least for me. There might right. be some people who can, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very cool that there's people who do that stuff. So. Nice. You've done a lot of things, a lot of interesting projects besides uh, theater. Uh, one I thought would be neat to talk about is um, you played, uh, if, I, if I read this right, you played for the mm-hmm. Shirelles for their yeah. uh, in uh, initiation into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's Cleveland. Oh right? no 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 oh, no! I didn't I didn't play for no. I just at the time they they were going by Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, the Shirelles. They had oh, already I been see. inducted, <laughs> so it was just kind of yeah. That would have been cool. Okay. No, it was um, the Candlewood Playhouse, what I which I had mentioned, where I had been playing in my college years, the, the Equity Theater in New, in New Fairfield, Connecticut. They would also do um, every once in a while. They would do a like a New Year's Eve thing. Um, so one year they just did a, you know, New Year's Rockin' Eve with the Shirelles. And mm. so they had their own, they had their own guitarist, music director. I, his name has slipped my mind because this was back 1997 at this point, um, that he, that they traveled with. And then the venue would hire, a, uh, you know, I think it was a drummer, a key, a pianist, a bass player, and maybe a, a horn player of some sort. Um, so yeah, so I just, I got hired to, to play on that, that New Year's Eve concert with them. Um, but it was, it was still kind of cool, you know, to work with and, you know, my parents and 
that was like the from their age of of pop music and so they loved knowing that i got to play with a a group from their era you know when i tell them a lot about the stuff that i do in the musical theater they're like who's lin-manuel miranda you know whatever but when it was like the shirelles they were like oh that's awesome so yeah no no i did not get to play on their induction ceremony but i got to play with them after they had been inducted right that little caveat to their to their title there well that was still that's still cool i'm sorry i made it sound much cooler no yeah you made it sound way better than it was (laughs) um you know, I haven't had a chance to check out more than a few videos, but you've got a pretty impressive YouTube channel. It's like you've you've okay. done a lot of caught a lot of things from your time in the yeah. pit and you know, just some other videos on there. What are what are some fun videos that like if if someone was gonna go check it out, what you know, what would be like some good first sure. videos to check out? Yeah, yeah. So I've got a bunch of them. I've got I've got everything from me playing the most recent Jagged Little Pill uh, uh, on Broadway. I've got a couple of clips of me playing that. Uh, my, my tick, tick, boom, national tour is up there on, uh, as well. There's a couple, I've, every show I've played, I think I'm up to 14 productions now from ACT that I've done. They're all up there too. Um, but I think my favorite one that's on that, on that musical theater playlist of mine is when, when the pandemic hit in March of 2020, I had just gotten into subbing on Jagged Little Pill. I'd probably been in about four times. Um, and you know, the pandemic hit and of course all of us were like, when are we, are we going to have a, you know, especially as, as a sub, my mentality was like, well, if this show ever does open again, if any of these shows ever open again, I'm sure as long as we keep going, oh, it's been six months. Oh, it's been 12 months. Oh, it's been 18. I felt like, you know, that meant the main people, the main guys were probably not going to be taking off much time and the subs would not, you know, be getting in there anymore. So one of my favorite videos that I have up there is I, I decided to, to play, uh, my favorite song from the show, which was a very little known song by uh, Alanis Morissette called um, Unprodigal Daughter. Mm-hmm. And I just played the whole, I played the whole thing. Like I played the two guitar parts, the, pa- the bass part, the drum part, the keyboard part, sang the background harmonies and sang the lead part, which is usually sang by a female. And I had to try to belt out some high Ds, which was, which was fun. Um, so that, that was my favorite little one that I put on there. So it's not really a, a, a of, of me in the pit. It was me in the studio but it was just me kind of missing my, my current, you know, subbing gig and just playing one of my favorite songs from it. Then fast forward, um, when the shows did reopen, uh, back this past October, I was lucky enough to actually go in and play some of the rehearsals for the reopening of the show, which was super cool because the drummer had some conflicts. So I got to, got to be a part of like another sort of another historic reopening of Broadway, uh, right. back, back in the fall with, with that show. But yeah, but yeah, so my YouTube page has definitely been, has been, I have a playlist just for, you know, as many, I think that's another part of the rent influence on me where Mark was the documentary filmmaker, even before the age of YouTube and mm-hmm. everybody with a phone, you know, a camera on their phone. I was always documenting my playing and stuff. So it's kind of cool to put some of those things from, from back in the day up there as well, too, in addition to some current things. But yeah, I think those are some of my favorite ones. Nice. Uh, <laughs> what are your current projects, both in theater and outside of theater? Sure. So, yeah, like I said, uh, I'm also a public school teacher going into my 25th year. I'm, I'm on summer break now, but I'll be starting my 25th year in uh, September, August, September. Oh, but um, what, sorry, what do you teach? Uh, I'm a general music teacher. Okay. Yeah, general music teacher, K through three, mm-hmm. uh, working with all the little little ones there. And yeah, it's super, I, you know, a lot of people always say like, you know, why, you know, why, why not a band director or a court, you know, and I'm like, I, I don't know, there's just something about working uh, in general music, which I really like, because it's, I guess it's maybe just my ADHD <laughs> where I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to focus on just one aspect of music. It's kind of fun to be able to do a little bit of everything. I don't, what doesn't matter what the age group is. It's just kind of fun that I do a little bit of performing, a little bit of singing, a little bit of composition. We do digital music. We do, you know, so I kind of like having that, that, mm-hmm. that, that uh, ability to, to do a bunch of different things with them. Yeah. So uh, doing that. And then, as I mentioned, I'm also um, a contractor, programmer, drummer for a regional theater, ACT. We're starting up our fifth season in the fall. We're doing uh, Guys and Dolls, Rock of Ages, and Secret Garden. So I'll be contracting, programming, and playing any, uh, you know, all or some. I mean, I haven't decided what my playing um, time will be, but I'll definitely be programming and contracting all of those. Um, and then I do have a couple of Broadway shows uh subbing opportunities coming up i i never mention what they are because i don't want to jinx myself until right. i've gotten through the approval process so right. maybe i'll follow up with your with your podcast if oh. they <laughs> if they happen oh sure sure uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um by the way just want to just for the record you've mentioned act a few times what, what does that stand for 
a contemporary theater okay. of Connecticut, ACT. Yeah. And is that a is that a um, is that a like a regional professional or or mm-hmm. okay? Yep, we're a regional equity theater in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Uh, it was opened in 2018. Uh, Ridgefield, Connecticut, is oddly this weird little hub of. It's an hour outside the city, and a lot of people who work on Broadway um, live in that area. So these three um, uh, performers, musicians, actors, producers, Dan Levine, Brian Perry, and Katie Diamond opened their own theater. And uh, I happened to have seen some of the stuff they had done before they opened the theater and sort of reached out to them myself and said, hey, listen, you need a drummer, a contractor, a programmer, I'm, I'm around. And Brian, who was the music supervisor, he's also the conductor of Jagged Little Pill, which is my connection to that show. So through ACT, it's all connected. It's all who you know. Um, you know, he said, well, yeah, come and come and work for us. And we all kind of hit it off. And I've been doing doing their shows for the past five years. Um, yeah, it's, it's been and it's like 20 minutes from my house. So it's it's great. It led me back to doing some Broadway stuff as well, too. Um, I, I yeah, really love good. I really love thing, hearing things like that, you know. I you know I think in a way New York is always going to be the you know the crown jewel of American musical theater and LA is going to be the crown jewel of you know m- filmmaking but the more that these things all of these things can happen elsewhere at a high level in the country I just I just think that's great yeah I, I would love for someday to just be you know if you live in any medium to large city You've got a, you've got theater that's not just touring, but produced. Sure, you know. Yeah, we're like, and like I said, we're very like. Besides the actual, you know, performers and professionals live in the area. We also have people like Stephen Schwartz, who lives in Ridgefield, got involved with our theater, mm. and you know, we did the Stephen presenting Stephen Schwartz series for the first three seasons. We did uh, working, we did uh, uh, Godspell, and we did well. The Snapshots was actually the coolest one. So I don't know if many people know about this show, Snapshots. Mm. Um, it, it was done originally as a, a little um, regional production. Never had a Broadway or an off Broadway production, but it's basically a review musical of songs from all of his shows. Wicked, Pippin, you know, they're all in there, built around a story. Um, and we were set to do a staging of it in January of 2021. But obviously with the pandemic, that didn't happen. So our director had this amazing idea to do a filmed like movie version of it. Mm. So in isolation, the band came in, you know, and recorded the music first to click tracks and whatever. The cast came in in isolation and did the vocals. Then they went on location and filmed to the tracks afterwards. Um, and we put that out. And now, and just going off what you said, now that that movie is uh, has been licensed to Broadway HD. Mm. So if anybody wants to see our production, they can see it on Broadway HD. It's called a mu- uh, Snapshots, a musical scrapbook, Stephen Schwartz from ACT. Um, and we released a cast album of it, which got nominated for a Grammy, which was incredible for this little, you know, four-year-old theater in Ridgefield, Connecticut. But that's to your point is that, you know, it's, it's, yes, of course, New York is always going to be the Mecca of musical theater and Broadway is always the pinnacle of what, you know, you're going for, but you know, good theater and good art can be done anywhere. If it's, you know, if it's the right people at the right time doing their best work and putting their blood, sweat and tears into it. And that's, it's been very rewarding to like, have that just 20 minutes from my house and sort of be at the next level where I'm not just the drummer. I'm also involved with the production team and being able to go back and forth, you know, and not have to have all of the rigmarole and the stress of going into the city. Not that I don't, I I still love it. I'm still going to do it for as long as I have the energy to do it. And as long as people actually want me to come and do it. But yeah, I agree. It's definitely, it's definitely good to know that you, you know, you can work in, in quality theater outside of, of that area as well too. Nice. Um, so, so last question is how I'll, I'll sure. include the, the YouTube and also include the, uh, you know, the ACT, you know, website in the show sure. notes. Aside from that, is there anywhere else that y- you'd recommend for people to check what you're doing? Uh, mainly my YouTube channel, Dennis J. Arcano, A-R-C-A-N-O, like you said. Um, I mean, I'm on Facebook, but not very often. I right. usually, I'll usually post when I have a gig. So like I just, you know, post some drum setups from rent and, and things like that, but I'm, I'm not often interactive <laughs> on, right. on, on social media. No, I don't, I really have any other, no Instagram, no TikToks, none of that stuff that the kids are doing these days for me, uh, but kinda, yeah. Almost you, in, I almost envy you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, yeah. I, it's, it's mostly it's just time. And also, you know, we all get kind of, I don't know, 
it can get a little depressing and stressful yeah. in those in those venues sometimes too. So I just have to kind of go, yep, it's a choice. I'm gonna not. I'm not gonna look. <laughs> right. So, but yeah, but yeah, my YouTube channel is pretty much the best place to just check out. You know, what anything that I've done from Broadway to regional to touring, it's all there. Great. Uh, well, I want to thank you for taking time to talk with me today, and w- best wishes on your upcoming projects. Thanks so much, man. It was great to chat with you too, David. And that wraps up episode seventy-two. Uh, once again, you know we're we're celebrating two years on Life in the Pit, and, and it just occurred to me I didn't even say this in the introduction, but thank you so much for being listeners. I know a lot of you listening have listened since episode number one, and that means a lot that you're you're still listening. And and if this is your first episode, welcome. Uh, you know, hope that uh, you'll you'll share this and you'll check out some of the other episodes that we've done. Um, we, I really am proud that, you know, we've had plenty of Broadway guests now, we've, but we've, uh, you know, we've stayed true to talking to people all over the country and we've had, you know, a couple of international guests as well. So I'm really proud to, to just be part of that and keep that going. As far as I know, this is still the only podcast that focuses on instrumental musicians who play for theater. Uh, there may be one, you know, there, there may be others out there, but I'm just, at least when I started and, and last time I've checked, this has been one of the very few. Uh, so I'm very happy to give voice to these excellent musicians who, you know, you don't really watch when you go to the theater because you're there to see the actors on stage. And it's just great to be part of that. Before I forget, just wanted to remind you, please, uh, if you are a private teacher of any subject, whether that be yoga, martial arts, or, of course, music, definitely you should consider looking into Fonz and that platform. You can find out all about it and even start a 14-day free trial, and you can use the link in my show notes to find out more. I hope to be back with you in a couple of weeks. I'm not too sure when the next episode will be. Um, But this is when I tell you, as a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or on Twitter or Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, a special thanks to Mark Perello for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. The theme music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about this podcast, leave feedback, or even leave a donation at lifeinthepitpod.com. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. And once again, please share with your friends. Thank you for listening.